This is an ABC podcast. Hey, welcome to Science Friction. I'm Natasha Mitchell. Today we are taking you into a wild place. Yeah, so it was pretty daunting sitting back and trying to imagine the scale of, of what we were about to do. When we were driving up, we could see everything was kind of coated in this ice and Jason and I were kind of looking at each other like, oh God. It's 2019 and Xavier Anderson, who's then an honours student doing science, and photographer Jason McQueen are about to try something that few of us would be game to. You kind of like, you had to get your mind around the vision of these pair disappearing off into the snow with full snow gear. This is Meredith Hope from the Fenner School of Environment and Society at the ANU. And then these big oars sticking out of their backpacks and you double take because you go, what are they doing? This hardcore journey, it's going to take months, but even getting to the starting point is touch and go. So it started off with ankle deep snow and we thought, oh, this will be okay. And then after an hour or so, it was becoming shin deep always thinking beyond the rise that it would start to get kind of less and then towards the end of the day we were kind of in this thigh deep stuff. Walking into the source of the Murray uh, was probably one of the physically hardest trips I've done because we were taking all that camera equipment and science equipment and we were taking pack rafts and everything needed for whitewater as well. But why are we here, thigh deep in the snow, at the source of the mighty Murray River on Narrago country in New South Wales? Well, Jordan Beasley is joining us this week, a cadet journalist at The Citizen, which is a publication produced by Melbourne University's Centre for Advancing Journalism. Hey, Jordan. Hi, Natasha. So Xavier and Jason are taking us on a curious adventure into sound. Their goal is to help the Murray River be heard. And they're doing this by packing their lives into kayaks for almost three months to capture the sounds along the entire length of the Murray. They're starting from the snow caps of Mount Kosciuszko in New South Wales, and then they're paddling all the way to the Coorong on Naranjeri country in South Australia. Where the Murray meets the sea. I mean, that is over two and a half thousand kilometres in two kayaks. Unbelievable. I mean, they're a seriously intrepid, ambitious duo. Yeah, and their mission is ambitious too. So they're planning to tell a story about the river's health in a way we haven't heard it before. And they're doing this by combining song, sound and science. For project manager Meredith, the inspiration starts with their childhood, on a holiday in a houseboat with her family. We moored for the night underneath this lovely patch of bush on the side of the Murray. And in the morning when I woke up, it was like a green light from all this vegetation. And there was this chorus of pied butcher birds, as I found out later. And it was really spellbound by it. And it was just spellbound by the life that this huge river system brought. And I keep hearing it in my head. So it went, <laughs> it went something like this. except it was a chorus, so it was like a round and it was going round and round and round by all these birds. And I was just mesmerised by it. So, you know, the idea behind song and music and sound was probably back as early as that, that I thought I'd just love to do something with this one day. Meredith also remembers helping her dad as a child. He was doing a master's project that involved collecting salinity and depth readings from the Murray River. 
I was always sort of fascinated by all the conversations I was hearing about the health of the lower system and Adelaide's water supply and then actually seeing this river and wondering, always wondering where it came from and never really feeling quite sure. The Murray River starts its life as just a trickle in Kosciuszko National Park. It's fed by snowmelt that seeps from the landscape. It's an image of the Murray that not many people know. It's a face that they don't know, so it's really important to capture that. As we join Jason and Xavier on their journey, let's get a sense of where they're heading. The Murray River flows westward, all the way along the New South Wales and Victorian border, and then it ducks south through the east of South Australia. In the Murray-Darling Basin, it's part of the traditional lands of more than 40 Aboriginal First Nations. They've maintained a relationship with the river for millennia. And at its source, Jason and Xavier are starting on Narrago country. Seeing the very top of the Murray is something that stood out, like knowing that that river goes all the way, 2,508 kilometres all the way to the ocean. Like, that was a big wow moment. At the start, Xavier and Jason have to bush bash through dense wattle and eucalypt, following the river until the clear mountain water is deep enough to put their kayaks in. Coming out of the national park, Kosciuszko just stops right on a fence line and then you go straight into farmland. The change, it's like every other change down the river happened quite subtly, whereas that was just like, oh, we're on farmland now. And for the next few months, it feels like you're um, winding your way through the Shire of uh, Lord of the Rings. Jason and Xavier's role in the project is to collect video and the atmospheric sounds of the Murray. You'll hear these throughout the program. Meanwhile, back at the ANU, Meredith Hope will be tracking their journey and the health of the Murray in a unique way. When you go for a health check, your doctor might measure your blood pressure, cholesterol, your iron levels. To monitor the river's health, the Murray-Darling Basin Authority is constantly measuring things like how much water is flowing at any point, how deep the river is, and how salty it is. That stack of numbers pour into a big database. And to you and I, they might not really make sense. So what if you could turn that data into music? So you're trying, essentially trying to make audible processes and information that are usually inaudible. Turning real-world scientific or medical data into sound in this way is called sonification. You see this every single day, sonifications used in engineering and physics, medicine, meteorology. So you can got examples such as Geiger counters, clocks, speed alarms, um, and even oximeters for um, to picking up your pulse rate during medical procedures. Um, but you don't, I guess, commonly hear sonification being attached to, say, a river. And that's what really makes this project unique. What the team is creating will help us hear the pulse of the river. When you look at a picture or a map of the Murray, or even drive across a bridge over it, the river can seem static. Dr Sarah Beavis, a water scientist at ANU's Fenner School, hopes sonification will help people really understand the rhythms of the river. It actually allows us to experience orally, through listening, the changes that occur in the river over, over time and, and distance. And this is a river in constant change. For a millennia, Aboriginal people have been living with and from the Murray. 
But since colonisation, people have manipulated and controlled its flows on a much larger scale. They've been damming it, pumping the water to towns and using it to grow fruit, vegetables, rice, dairy and cattle. And the river itself has had to adjust. We can tell that the river is not static at all. It is very dynamic and organic. It's highly responsive to inputs and outputs. And all of those engineering structures that occur along the way give us a sense of the variability of of this system, that it's very much a living system. But now the river's under threat. We've taken away all of this water from other plants and animals that also rely on the Murray. And we've diminished the power of the river to flush out excess nutrients like salt. Who gets the water, how much they get, that's become one of the most divisive environmental and social debates in Australia. Everyone has a view on how it should be used, whether for ensuring indigenous water rights, irrigation for crops, maintaining natural flows, or town water supplies. But the silent partner in all of this, it's the river itself. Well, so, oh, I'm gonna sit in the shade. It's now around 20 days into Xavier and Jason's epic adventure. This is the first day of, I guess, the real heat. And it's only gonna get hotter from here. We're thinking it's about 38 degrees. It's about one o'clock. They've rode from the cold of the high country of New South Wales and into the heat of Victoria's Barmer National Park on Yorta Yorta country. This is home to one of the largest river red gum forests in the world. The river is wide here. It's a murky brown. It's not too bad on the water, but yeah, it's gonna get, uh, it's gonna get real. <laughs> yeah. As Xavier and Jason have rode day after day, they've felt firsthand the dramatic effect of humans on the river. Around Albury, um, there was lots of water flowing through there. We were absolutely flying through that section. They felt the changes with their kayaks and their bodies. But let's hear how that flow rate changed along their vast journey. So this is Meredith Hope's sonification. She's created it by taking the flow rate as it is measured at every point along the Murray. The Murray-Dying Basin Authority records this in megalitres per day. And then Meredith has directly converted those numbers into a corresponding tonal sound. She's overlaid Xavier and Jason's location recordings on the tone to create a rich composition, which tells us something important about the river too. It's particularly powerful. Sarah Beavis is supervising Meredith's project. Because you can get a sense of the flow in the upper part of the catchment, but as you start to get the inflows from those major tributaries, more and more water is being added.
The pitch is high where the flow is fast. The Murray is fed by a series of smaller rivers. Among them are the Murrumbidgee, Edward, Goulburn. And the sonification, it brings that process alive as they flow in. As the water is diverted to irrigate crops, the pitch of Meredith's sonification of the flow data drops. Saver and Jason first noticed a big shift in the flow when they rode into Robinvale, in northwestern Victoria, where the water is diverted to grow nuts, fruits, and vegetables. The level of irrigation was nothing like we had seen along the river before then. We put the drone up and as far as you could see, there was just these vibrant green rows of olive trees or almonds, row upon row of these basketball-sized pumps sitting in the river, almost going all day. And that was an interesting sound to hear. It was just this constant whirring. You go along a journey of sound and you can get a very clear and I think quite an emotive sort of sense of how this river is changing rather than under natural conditions expecting it to increase its flow as it goes downstream. We can actually hear it decreasing in flow. We were kind of laughing thinking that the trip was so easy and you could definitely feel that the water had been pulled out of the river at that point because it really began to crawl in a way. Pretty much the sound of the Murray, cockatoos. So we're past Robin Vale. We've gone to the south about as far as we do on this bit before like South Australia. And now we're heading back up north to Madura. Around an hour further on, if you were driving northwest, Xavier and Jason arrive at the small border town of Wentworth in southwestern New South Wales. A dust storm hits and orange dust coats their kayaks. This is the point where the Darling River meets the Murray. It's the country of the Barkindji people. The Darling is the last tributary that flows into the Murray. But in January last year, as they passed through, no water was coming from the Darling. It had been dry for over 18 months due to drought. They walked along a stretch of its dry riverbed. Essentially, the whole way down, the river was just slowing down bit by bit to a crawl. And you can hear that in the sonification. The pitch falls as the river crawls. The sonification makes it very clear that this is a river that has become sluggish because so much water has been lost on the system. And they're not only converting the flow rate along the Murray River into a soundscape, they're doing the same with its fluctuating depth too. I found it fascinating. You can hear the real change in depth of the channel as the river goes through artificial structures at the Hume Dam at Albury-Wodonga, the Yarrawonga Weir.
and then all of the weirs and locks further down the system and, and you really can hear that sound of increased depth and then shallowing out as the river crosses those structures. And those structures are really important for providing elevated water levels so that water can be diverted via gravity out into the irrigation areas. Uh, so fascinating. You can really start to interrogate what you're listening to to understand where you are in the landscape and how the river has been changed or how the river is responding as it moves through its landscape. The project's about more than creating an arty soundscape. Meredith's sonifying the river because she wants to connect people to its raw reality and to what the scientific measurements collected along its length actually mean. She thinks this might help cut through the politics surrounding the Murray and, in a sense, let the river do the talking. When we're given graphs and pictures and, and things like that, some of us just switch off. Like, sometimes I just get overwhelmed and I switch off. So that's, that's one thing, I think, that, that we reach another audience with the audio stuff. I think there's also something really interesting about hearing something that you didn't expect to hear. Having something out of the ordinary immediately captures people's attention and their imagination. You know, what if the river really did sing? What would it say? I think there is something particularly powerful in sound. This is the scientist whose work inspired Meredith's project to sonify the Murray River. My name is Scott St. George, and I'm an associate professor of geography at the University of Minnesota. When we look at things with our eyes, it's, I don't know, it's so easy to be analytical and disconnected from it. But when you feel the vibrations coming through your, your ears and your body, and you hear something that's kind of like music, but not exactly like music, it allows you to take in the same information, but allows you to feel it, not just between your ears, but it brings in the rest of your body, too. track you can hear is from a project that Scott created that sparked lots of interest in using sonification to better communicate vital environmental science. This, believe it or not, is the sound of climate change. It all began with his introductory environmental science class. And once a year, every time we teach the class, I throw up a chart that shows how global temperatures have changed from 1880 to present. And every year it's a, it's a little bit warmer than, than the last year and the, the trend line goes up and up and up. But I can't, I could always, I couldn't help but feel that, that when I showed that graph to students, either they had seen it before and they were kind of bored with it or they hadn't seen it before and, and somehow this, this incredibly important data graphic wasn't really making an impact. Scott knew there had to be a better way to motivate his students to connect with this confronting data. And so he enlisted the help of science student Daniel Crawford, who plays the cello. Together, they turned to music. Daniel took the hottest and the coldest temperatures recorded between 1880 and 2012, and he converted them into the highest and lowest pitch tones that his cello could play. Then he worked out what each temperature in between would correspond to on his instrument, and the result was a sonification called a song of our warming planet. Mm-hmm. 
pitch increasing as the temperature climbs higher over time. And to Scott's surprise, when the composition was released, it went off. It went viral on Twitter and the New York Times and other outlets around the world interviewed Daniel. I think what we learned from that is that there was a lot of appetite for people interested in the issue of climate change, interested in reaching a broader audience. I think scientists and people who are charged with the responsibility of communicating about the environment to the public need to have more empathy and understand that most people are not like us. Most people are not thinking about this in the same way or certainly as much as we do. If we want to communicate to someone who's different outside that core science community, we need to think about creative, interesting, impactful, or meaningful ways of doing it. We have to do a better job. Cool Take two. This is the Murray Mouth. Now in South Australia, and after paddling two and a half thousand kilometres in their kayaks over 75 days, Avery and Jason are about to head across to where the Murray River flows into the sea. Their final destination. This is the magnificent coastal wilderness of the Coorong, known for its Ramsar-listed wetlands and incredible bird life. But they've been warned by locals. We told the bartender last night at South Australia's oldest pub uh, what we were about to do, and he's like, what's his words? Ha ha ha, good luck. Not in a good way. I mean, that can be Gale force way. winds will make rowing across Lake Alexandrina almost impossible. They've met lots of people along their journey, but what they've noticed is how disconnected the human story is of this vast river, and how divisive it is too. Not everyone has three months to go kayak the river like we did, so a lot of people towards the mouth of the river who didn't know that the river started up in Kosciuszko and there were people up around in the high country who didn't really know what was going on downstream. It was just kind of those people in South Australia and I think there was a lot of animosity between upstream and downstream users and it was kind of a fight between people of they're taking my water rather than this is everybody's water. Downstream people didn't see what was happening upstream of the river and what they were going through and understanding their issues so I guess the point of this project is to show everyone what we've learnt along the way, help unite these people and help people see how connected these landscapes are and how what you do on the river impacts other people. I'll see you back there. Don't go too far. Just be careful that you don't get drawn out. It takes 13 hours of non-stop paddling to cross Lake Alexandrina. It's very tough going. I remember coming around the final bend and then, you know, we're seeing actual swirl and waves coming from the ocean and you can hear the seagulls and having either side of this river that's been with us for three months disappear and all you can see is a flat, slightly curving line of the horizon instead of river sides. It's like there's no more river. <laughs> I can literally take it as far as you can. They made it to the Murray's mouth 76 days later. But even here, where the river should flow freely into the sea, there's a problem. And at the mouth, you could see was kind of the last bit of infrastructure trying to keep everything going was the dredges there um, to allow that discharge of nutrients and salt. So much water has left the Murray River now that dredges are needed here to remove sediment and keep the Murray mouth open. The flow is not strong enough to do this naturally. There's two dredges that were operating there while we were there, so it was really awkward to see as we were kind of making our way out of the mouth that from kind of top to bottom, the, the Murray was in trouble. 
And when they get to the very end... Lots of people talk about all this water going out to sea and all this wasted water. But when we got there, it was just a dribble popping through some cracks in the barrages themselves. There was no water actually coming through. It's a melancholy scene. Meredith Hope wants the interactive exhibition that her sonification project will form to help connect us to the plight of the Murray, but also to inspire us. Touching people with sound is a way to help people. I often feel like I get overwhelmed by all the bad news stories and all the bad press, and so I like to think that hearing this will make people smile, feel some emotion maybe, maybe some sadness, um, and then have a great deal of respect and awe for this magnificence. And out of that comes the potential for greater awareness and perhaps greater compassion. Big thanks to Meredith Hope, Xavier Anderson and Jason McQueen for sharing all their beautiful recordings with us. Journalist Jordan Beasley was supported by a grant from the Science Journalists Association of Australia, of which I'm part, and the Centre for Advancing Journalism. You'll find Jordan at Jordan Beasley on Twitter. Read her work over at The Citizen at the University of Melbourne and you can talk to me on Twitter too, at Natasha Mitchell. I'll catch you next week. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.